And join me in prayer. Lord, we declare that to you. Here I am to worship. Here we are to worship you. We worship you this morning through baptism, through prayer, and through scripture reading, through singing. We worship you now as we open your word, as we hear your word declared and your truth declared to us. Lord, we say here we are to worship, not just because this is Sunday morning, but we say that over all of our lives. We exist to worship you. We exist to praise you. You are worthy of our complete and total devotion. We pray that you would help us to see you as altogether lovely, altogether worthy, and altogether wonderful. You are indeed the Prince of Peace. You are indeed the wonderful Counselor, the everlasting God. We worship you. We celebrate you. We trust you. We treasure you more than anything in all of life. Speak to us. We need you. Allow us to hear your word. Thank you for this moment. Thank you for the strength to stand here in front of your people to declare your word. What a privilege this is. What a privilege. Oh God, help us not to take this moment for granted. We love you. We thank you that you first loved us. We ask for your help to hear your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. There's a stereotype that the deeper someone goes into theology and doctrine, the more dry and passionless they become. Have you heard this stereotype? Have you, have you yourself thought this same thing? The assumption is that theology is not good for worship. However, that doesn't match with reality at all. I've found that the deeper I go into the glorious truths of the faith, the more specific and defined my praise becomes. Theology fuels doxology. Seeing clearly leads to savoring joyfully. And I hope that reality impacts the way we celebrate Christmas this year. The truth, the theology of Christmas should fuel an intense, passionate worship toward our Savior. I want us to worship Jesus with zeal this Christmas. Like, I don't want us to just admire a baby and have a warm, cozy feeling about a manger in Bethlehem while we all sing Silent Night. I want us to be moved to the core of our being by some epic truths about what we believe about this baby that was born in Bethlehem, about who he is, about why he came. Truths that I think should anchor us when all around us is shaking and crumbling. And so my hope is that we're going we're gonna to leave the shallow end of Christmas theology and dive into the deep end this Sunday and, God willing, next Sunday and all culminating on Christmas Sunday morning. I want to declare some majestic mysteries that are true and beautiful so that Jesus is seen and known and worshipped as he alone deserves. And so, turn in your Bible to the first chapter of the Gospel of John. John chapter 1. The Gospel of John exists so that we might see Jesus 
and trust Jesus and worship Jesus. And listen, John wastes no time jumping into the deep end of the mysterious theological pool. John doesn't just dip his toe in or go casually one step at a time into this pool like I do when I get into a swimming pool. No, John just dives headfirst into some of the most significant doctrines of our faith. And before we read these first five verses together, I want to provide something of a warning to you. This sermon is very emotional for me. As many of you now know, this was the exact sermon I was preparing this exact same week last year. On Monday and Tuesday of this same week, second week of December last year, I threw myself into thinking deeply about the incarnation of the Son of God, and I was totally unaware of what I was about to face. I woke up on Wednesday morning, December the 8th, 2021, and everything was fine. Or so I thought. I got to my study early that morning. I began fleshing out this exact same outline that I'm about to preach this morning. But everything changed quickly. Gallstones ripped through my pancreas and sent me to urgent care, an ambulance ride, ICU, surgery, and the most annoying tubes in both nostrils. And ultimately, 16 days in the hospital all through the Christmas season while this very outline sat unpreached in my notes. Among other things, last year and through this year, I've learned that suffering has a way of clarifying what one really believes, what one really thinks is real in this life. And thank God that one of the realities that was clarified for me that wasn't clarified a year ago but now is clarified is that I really believe these truths. When dignity and financial security and cherished experiences were being stripped away from me, I learned that I really do believe Jesus is enough for me and for you. He is precious and He is beautiful on the other side of my worst nightmares and on the other side of my darkest anxieties. It is both the most simple and deepest truths of our faith that give foundation to worship and suffering and true joy. I really believe what I'm about to say about Jesus. I don't believe this is a fairy tale or some cleverly devised myths. I believe this is true and real and should impact everything that we do and everything that we are in this life. And so in many ways, picking back up this outline and preparing this sermon this week and standing here to preach it now represents a conglomeration of emotions in my heart. There was fear this week that something unexpectedly painful would happen again. There was relief this week that God had brought me thus far through this difficult year. There was resolve to live each day and preach each sermon as if it was my last. And there was deep gratitude for you, my church family, my people, in whom I see God at work in 10,000 ways. Let's read God's Word before I digress any further. Follow along as I read John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, and then I'm also going to read verse 14. John 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, 
And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the Word of God. May God write its truth on our hearts. Well, as you can see, the Gospel of John is very different from Matthew and Luke and how they present the Christmas story. In fact, almost all the details of the Christmas story that we know and love come from the Gospel of Matthew or the Gospel of Luke. But notice how John starts. Matthew and Luke start with Jesus' genealogy and birth narrative. They have angels and shepherds and a star and wise men and Bethlehem. But John starts far beyond Bethlehem. John starts, notice, in the beginning. Now this is clearly an echo of Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John rewinds all the way back to eternity past before anything was created. John says, in the beginning, that is before creation, before Genesis 1-1, was the Word. Now, in the first 18 verses of the Gospel of John, John gives Jesus this title, the Word. It's very important to see that John himself identifies the Word as Jesus in verse 17. And so when John says the Word in these first five verses, he's talking about Jesus Christ who was born in Bethlehem. He's telling us who Jesus was before His incarnation. Who Jesus was before Bethlehem in the Christmas story. He's saying Jesus is the living Word of God. Now, since we know that John had Genesis 1 in his mind when he wrote this, we should think back to how God created the universe by speaking words. It was the Word of God that made God's will and desire public. It was the Word of God that powerfully created all things. You see, words have a very specific function. Words enable us to communicate our feelings, our thoughts. You cannot see what I'm thinking. You cannot see what I'm feeling unless I tell you. I can use words to tell you what's going on inside of me, who I am and what I'm feeling. And this is one of Jesus' roles. This is one of Jesus' roles is to clearly communicate what our God is like. This title of Jesus points to the truth that it's the very nature of God to communicate, to reveal Himself. God's Word is His creative utterance. His Word is the power He uses to accomplish His purposes by making Himself known. And John calls Jesus the Word of God. And Jesus, as the Word, He says, embodies and expresses the Father's mind and heart in every way. John, in fact, summarizes this truth about Jesus in verse 18. Look what he says, No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. 
He, Jesus, has made Him known. Jesus, He says, came to explain God to us. He makes God knowable. He makes the unknowable God knowable. Jesus is the Word of God. This is what He came to do to express the true heart of our God. He was born to make God known. He is the living Word of God. And so in these opening verses, John takes us not to Bethlehem or to shepherds in a field, not to the manger, but to eternity past, before creation. So I want us to consider what these verses tell us about Jesus before His incarnation. Who is Jesus before Bethlehem? Verse 14 says that Jesus, the Word, became flesh. That is, He became a man. However, who was Jesus before He was conceived in the womb of Mary? Before the angels announced the good news of great joy to the shepherds? I want to show you four truths about Jesus before His incarnation. And my prayer is that these truths would deepen and zealify our worship this Christmas. As we go deeper into who Jesus is and to what we celebrate, may our praise become more and more passionate. Here are the four truths. Number one, before His incarnation, Jesus eternally existed. Before His incarnation, before Him becoming a man, He existed eternally. So John clearly tells us that Jesus is eternal. In the beginning was the Word. Jesus existed before His arrival in Bethlehem. You see, you and I don't begin to exist until we're conceived. We were not before we arrived on this earth. But Jesus did not begin to exist when He was conceived in the womb of Mary. Jesus has existed for all eternity. Before there was time, before creation, Jesus existed. Now, throughout church history, this truth has been the cause of much debate. For example, the Council of Nicaea, in 325 A.D., dealt with this very issue because a heretic by the name of Arius claimed about Jesus there was a time when He was not. And so Arius taught that Jesus came into being when He was conceived. And Arius said He was not before He was made. We ought to thank God for a man named Athanasius and others who fought for the truth that there never was when He was not. The council concluded that Jesus is very God of very God. Friends, no matter how far back we try to imagine before the universe existed, before time began, we can never reach a point when the Word was not. There's no beginning to Jesus' existence. He is eternal. Think about it like this. There are many things that are everlasting. That is, they have no end. To be everlasting is to have no end. For example, heaven and hell are everlasting. Also, our souls, the soul of every person you've ever met, is everlasting. That is, they will exist forever. However, those things are not eternal because they had a beginning. They were created. 
There was a time when they were not. There was a time when our souls didn't exist. However, Jesus is not just everlasting. He is eternal. He simply is. Remember he said, before Abraham was, I am. I just am. I I exist. He is outside of time. He was not created. He simply is. He exists eternally. Now listen, this is very complicated for us. If we give honest thought to this, this should blow our minds. We don't understand this because we're not eternal. But this is not complicated for Jesus. And thus this should humble and fuel our passionate worship of Jesus, the eternal Word of God. Notice how badly John wants us to hear this. He basically repeats the same thought from verse 1 in verse 2. Look at verse 2. So verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. He's always existed. Verse 2, He was in the beginning with God. He was. Means He was existing in the beginning. He was. He just is. John doesn't say Jesus was made or created at a certain time. He says, in the beginning, He just was. Friends, the words beginning and was in these first two verses of John's Gospel are like two massive pillars that make the whole building of our faith stand strong. If you knock down the pillar of Jesus' eternality, the whole building crumbles. There never was when He was not. Let's declare this this Christmas. There never was when He was not. Church family, let's be careful about how we speak about Jesus this Christmas. And let's teach our children that this this Jesus didn't just begin when He was born. He didn't just begin to exist in the manger. That's not the first time He showed up. That's not what He was created because He is not created. That's not where the story starts. The baby in the manger was not created. He has always existed. Before taking on flesh and being born, He was. He exists eternally. Jesus is the eternal Word of God. This is what we celebrate. This is who we worship. This is who we live for, the eternal One. That's the first truth. Here's the second truth. Before his incarnation, Jesus was fully God. Before he took on flesh, before his incarnation, Jesus was fully God. Newsflash, we're going to say next week, he still is fully God, but we're talking about him before his incarnation right now. Before his incarnation, Jesus was fully God. Now, we've already said this in saying that he's eternal, But let's say it even more clearly because this is a central truth to our faith. This is a central truth to Christianity. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, you don't understand what we're talking about, I need you to understand we believe Jesus is fully God. Notice the end of verse 1, John plainly says this. And I mean plainly. Listen, it's one of the the knocks on the Bible I've heard skeptics and atheists say that it never claims that Jesus is God. And every time I hear them say, they're like, have you not read John 1, 1? It's clear. Look at verse 1. The Word was God. The Word was God. 
This is one of the clearest statements on the deity of Jesus in all the Bible. The Bible says Jesus is God. And John doesn't just state this and leave it at that. No, he spends the rest of the Gospel of John proving this truth, that Jesus is God and is worthy of our total devotion. So if you don't believe that this is saying Jesus is God, let me just invite you. Begin reading the Gospel of John a chapter at a time and see if John can convince you that Jesus is in fact fully God. And you should be aware of the fact that even though this verse is clear as to the deity of Jesus, many still try to deny this truth. For example, Jehovah's Witnesses deny the, G the deity of Jesus. Jehovah's Witnesses have their own translation of the Bible called the New World Translation, which translates this phrase in verse 1 as the word was a God. They teach that Jesus was God-like but not really God. But based on the context of this and the grammar that John uses here, it is clear that he is saying Jesus is fully God. Friends, this is no secondary truth. Everything we believe hinges on the full deity of Jesus Christ. If Jesus is not fully God, he could not make atonement for our sins. If Jesus did not make atonement for our sins, then we are without Savior and we are, we are without hope. The one who the angels heralded in Bethlehem. The one who walked on water and touched lepers. The one who died for our sins. The one who rose victoriously from the grave is very God of very God. Now, the plan next week is to dive deeper into the incarnation itself and the truth that Jesus added a human nature to his divine nature and one of the truths we plan to delight in, God willing, next Sunday is that Jesus, when he became a man, did not lose or give up on his divine nature. He still is fully God. Everything that is true about Jesus before his incarnation is also true today. And so by saying that Jesus is God, we're saying that Jesus possesses all the attributes of God. He is omniscient. He is omnipresent in his divine nature. Before he took on flesh, he existed as a spirit without a body, just like the Father and the Spirit. Friends, these are mysterious truths that we cannot possibly fully grasp with our limited understanding. But we believe them and we declare them to be true because without them, we would not have hope that anything about the Christmas story is real or beautiful or worth celebrating. Jesus is fully, 100% God. He's not God junior or less than God. Jesus is God and has always been. Here's the third truth. Before his incarnation, Jesus was with the Father and the Spirit. Before his incarnation, before he became a man, he was with the Father with the Spirit. So y'all want to dive deeper into this glorious and mysterious pool? Notice that verse 1 says that, John says that not only was the word God, but also notice the word Jesus was with God. Jesus was God and was with God. Now, those who scoff at the Bible say, you can't have it both ways. He's either God or he's with God. He can't be both. But this is where the glorious doctrine of the Trinity 
is so vital. Listen, friends, we are not polytheists. We do not worship three gods. There is only one God. We are monotheists. And in this one God, there are three persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And each of these persons has existed as God for all eternity. The phrase, the Word was with God, speaks to the equality and intimacy in the Trinity. Literally, you could translate the the word with as toward. The picture is of people facing toward each other, engaging in intimate conversation, engaging in meaningful fellowship and intimacy. Listen, what this tells us is that God did not create the world because He was lonely or needed anything. Jesus didn't take on flesh in the incarnation because He was bored. God has always been sufficient in Himself. He created this world out of the overflow of delight that exists between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And as the Son, Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, fully God and eternally with the Father and the Spirit. The Word was with God. He was in the beginning with God. And so allow this truth to press you deeper into the joy and delight of the Trinity. Before the incarnation, Jesus was in deep intimacy with the Father and Spirit. There was immeasurable joy and happiness. The Father and Son shared a glory with each other that makes our blazing sun look like a flickering candle. Think of what the Father and Son and Spirit did together before the world ever existed. Together they created awesome creatures, like the seraphim and cherubim, mighty angels. Together they were the the center of the worship of all these creatures they had made. They were lauded and honored and celebrated as central as they enjoyed each other's glories. Together with the Spirit, the Father and Son birthed a plan to create a universe and galaxies and solar systems. And they laid out blueprints to create earth and sky and water and creatures and they planned the crown of creation. Human beings with souls fashioned and designed in their own image. The Father, Son, and Spirit developed a plan to create and restore this creation through the very incarnation of the Son of God. What? Like, what can you imagine the moment the Father and Son came up with the Incarnation? Can you imagine this conversation? The eternal Son would take on human flesh and die in the place of sinners? This was all planned before Mary or Joseph was born. This was the design before Bethlehem ever existed. This was the design before the gold the wise men brought ever existed. Church, the incarnation of the Son of God is richer and higher and more glorious than anyone has ever thought. These truths should fuel our worship and our adoration during this season and throughout our lives. The fourth and final truth about Jesus before his incarnation is this. Before his incarnation, Jesus created all things. Before his incarnation, Jesus created all things. So verse 3 is amazing. 
when you put verse 3 right after verse 2 and all that it says about the eternality of Jesus and his full deity and the fellowship of the Trinity that exists for all eternity, and then verse 3, John says, all things were made through him, that is, through Jesus, the Word. And without him, without Jesus, was not anything made that was made. What was the second person of the Trinity doing before he took on flesh? What was the baby born in Bethlehem doing in eternity past? Before the Son of God took on human nature and died for our sins, he created everything that exists. Notice how emphatic John is. He wants us to know this. All things were made through him. Okay, he could have stopped right there. We get it, John. He made everything. But look what he says. All things were made through him, and without him... Nothing was made that was made. Nothing, not anything was made that he did not make. Why is John so emphatic about Jesus being the source of creation? Well, Jesus' creative power underscores his deity. If Jesus created all that is not God, that means he was not created, right? This is another point that Jehovah's Witnesses do not own up to. They claim that Jesus was created. So if you ever are talking with Jehovah's Witness and they have their copy of the Scripture that says the Word was a God, say, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll give you that. Just go down to the next verse, verse 3. So how do you believe Jesus was created if it says nothing was created that He didn't create? That means He wasn't created. They claim He was created, but Jesus, John says of Jesus, if there's a made thing, it was made through Jesus and therefore Jesus was not made. Ponder this work of Jesus to create all things for just a moment. See, when we say somebody's creative, we mean they have the ability to take things that already exist and make new things. But Jesus created everything that is out of nothing. He is literally the source of all things. And thus, He deserves the praise of all of creation. Colossians chapter 1 Verse 16 says of Jesus, For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. This tiny Savior, this baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, is the Creator of everything. Imagine the humility it took for Jesus to become a man, for the Creator to become part of His creation. Jesus made His mother Mary. He made her. Jesus made the wood of the manger. Jesus made the animals in that barn. Jesus made the shepherds and the angels and the wise men. He made the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh that were brought to celebrate Him. This didn't really happen, but Jesus even made the little drummer boy who annoyed everybody by going pa pum pum <laughs> Seriously, you and your drum need to go find somewhere else to play your best for him. But I digress. Before his incarnation, before he became a man, Jesus created all things. Nothing was made that he did not make. Nothing exists that He is not the source and sustainer of. Notice verses 4 and 5. 
Look at verses 4 and 5. It says Jesus is the life-giving light. He's shown in the darkness and He gives light and life to all who come to Him. This is who He is. So church family, as you think about, as you celebrate our Savior, don't begin at His birth. Don't begin at His birth. He's not just a baby who grew up to be a man. Yes, that too. But He is God of very God. Begotten not created. And let me close with just something of a sneak peek of where we're planning to go next week because it's the whole point of drawing your attention to everything he was before he was incarnated. John chapter 1 verse 14 says that this glorious, pre-existent, fully God, word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. Tabernacled in our midst. When Jesus took on human flesh, listen, all the things that we just said about Him did not cease to be true. Jesus didn't lose any part of His divine nature in the incarnation. He didn't cease to be eternal. He did not give up being fully God. He did not forfeit His position in the fellowship of the Trinity. He did not cease to be the one who created all things and who sustains all things. Here's the point. Everything that happened in the incarnation is a matter of addition, not subtraction. Here's how John Owen would say it. He became what he was not, but he did not cease to be what he always was. That's what I want to declare next Sunday, God willing. The mystery of the incarnation and the nature of Jesus is what we'll attempt to unpack and delight in and prayerfully that it will zillify our passionate worship of him. And that's the application for today. It's the application every Sunday. Worship Jesus. Worship this King celebrate Him. Come, let us adore Him. Embrace Him as He is and as He has always been. In fact, one commentator in response to this passage gave the most perfect application to this passage. He said this, We are called to worship Him without cessation. Obey Him without hesitation. Love Him without reservation. And serve Him without interruption. That's what I want to call you to this Christmas season and for the rest of your life. Worship Him without cessation. Obey Him without hesitation. Love Him without reservation. And serve Him without interruption. Let's pray together. Oh God, I pray that You would help us respond to these truths with worship without cessation. Obedience without hesitation. Love without reservation and serving you without interruption. Lord, help us. We need you. Here we are to worship. Help us to worship you as you are. To celebrate you as the king of all kings. We praise you. We celebrate you. We glorify you for you are worthy of it all. Oh God, I pray this Christmas you would fill us with zeal for you. Fill us with passion as we worship you. Celebrate this season as we just enjoy the life that you have given to us. We thank you, Jesus, for all that you are, all that you've revealed yourself to be. We worship you and we pray in your name.
Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.